You've reached Moody's Never Say Die Hard, a moonlighting podcast with Kevin and Chez. Each week we watch the next episode, available Friday, for you to download. For each break in the case, we have laughs for your face. For every twist and thrill, we have jokes that kill. Some fly by night, some fly by day. So let us now join Addison and Hayes. All major credit cards accepted. Hello and welcome to Moonies Never Say Die Hard, a moonlighting podcast. My name is Kevin. I'm with Chess. Hi, Chess. Hey, Kevin. How are you? I'm good. Good. Still happy New Year. Sure. We're going to ride that to like <laughs> May, just just to bring the cheer. It's going to be fantastic. Well, what are we going to say? I think it's just a nice way to start a podcast. Yeah. Hey, Chess. Hey, Kevin. How are things? Ugh. <laughs> I mean, that's just going to progress as the year goes on anyway. So why not stress the Happy New Year part of it all? Yeah. So I guess we'll start with our sponsor. <laughs> I can't imagine a sponsor being happier with an introduction than that. So I mean, imagine, imagine if you were watching the PBS instead of saying this is brought to you by the Chubb Group. It's like Chubb Group. It's like, well, I guess we might as well mention these people. Oh God! Let's get through this. But speaking of our sponsor, Kevin. Oh yeah, we love them. <laughs> Moody's Never Say Die Hard is brought to you by Zini's Italian Restaurant, the only restaurant in America. Zini's. You know that scene in Forrest Gump where they name all the things you can do with shrimp? We do that with eggplant, and we do it better. And don't forget, Thursdays are for kids. Every Thursday, kids eat for half of what double the meal costs. And make sure to get a picture with Megplant the Eggplant, our attractive mascot. Zini's Italian Restaurant, the ultimate dining machine. Oh, wow. That, Pretty good. I, I actually want to, if they allow me in the restaurant, once I get the reservation, uh, when is our reservation? When is your reservation that I'm piggybacking on? It's uh, 2025. Uh, I think June. June. I think it was okay. June. I, I'm hoping that not only do we get, and they did wonders with the name, the Megplant, the Eggplant. I want it where they create their own little world. Remember how <laughs> McDonald Land, until they yeah, got yeah. sued by HR Puff and stuff, and they had to... <laughs> They did. And HR Puff and stuff. The uh, Crofts won that case. And that was the end of McDonald land. But then remember, Burger King copied it. No. Burger King had some sort of wither. He had a villain. There was Sir Shakes a lot, who was a shake who I think shook a lot, which is <laughs> kind of questionable. <laughs> if you look at it, there's a whole cast of characters for Burger King land or Burger Kingdom, I imagine would be the case if they were smart. And the Burger King was a king, obviously, but he could do magic because he was a king but then again couldn't ronald also do magic wasn't everybody doing magic ronald mcdonald could do magic i i mean he could transform i mean yeah you're right there I were mean, times he, where he like waved his hand and sparkled yeah. things happened and it went to like a different place yeah 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 i mean i think it's it's hard to remember that part because the part you do remember is him kind of appearing under an eight-year-old's bed or just in the bedroom <laughs> a grown man dressed as yeah. a clown and we thought Yes, I do want burgers. <laughs> that was just the the simple progression of it. It's advertising was different. It, it wasn't up to stuff as Zinis. I don't know. I'm bothered by the fact that they called the mascot attractive in the copy. That is that is weird, right? Well, I I actually just had our cat intern Kiki try to find an image, and she can't find one person. Oh, okay. So either they understand there's an issue and they scrubbed it, or because they only have one table, there are only so many photos taken of Megplant the Eggplant. They have not done a TV ad yet because if they're the only restaurant in, the, in I was gonna say New York, which it may or may not be a state I live in, if they're the only restaurant in America, maybe they don't need to advertise on TV. By the way, do you see TV commercials anymore? 
but they're advertising with us, which is well, an odd choice. <laughs> admittedly, I don't understand the decisions made by their advertising agency. Yeah. That is true. I imagine we're wonderful. No knock on us, but I imagine no, this, a podcast. But this we is are real a lower boots price on point. the ground. This is yeah. real grassroots yeah. effort. This is getting the word out for a restaurant that apparently, as we're saying, is in every Ann Arbor across the country and doesn't need to advertise. And yet, no make plant the eggplant. Maybe then, well, remember when McDonald's had Mac Tonight? Yeah. You remember the big head? Yeah, you know, yeah. Mac Tonight was is played by, uh, I'm forgetting his name now, but he also often plays the monsters in Guillermo del Toro. He's the one who has the eyes on the head. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Abe Simeon, I think, in whatever the character's name. I know I just got that wrong. Ah, uh, words leave me now, just in time for a podcast. Thanks. <laughs> Kiki's going to figure it out. We'll get back to it, I'm sure. Kiki Kiki immediately hit my laptop to try to find out, and I had to whisk her away because eventually she was just typing Q repeatedly. You know what? Sometimes you start a podcast like this, and you just find your way back into it. So we'll find our way back into it. We don't know. Our intern gets paid in really expensive cat food. So yeah. she, she should be on top of this soon. In case you're wondering, we did take notes. We wrote down the names we do need to know, and Kiki just got back to me with the name Doug Jones. Oh, that's right. It is Doug Jones. It is Doug Jones. So, uh, which, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. I can understand why that was a hard name for us to recall. Yeah, it's it real, is, real common, bland. Yeah, real I mean. bland name. <laughs> yeah, just, just, let's just not stop Doug Jones. No, it, it is a harder name to grasp. I mean, I have the opposite where my name is hard because it has every letter in the alphabet. Yeah, it's a real. I mean, quick, you say my name. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it is, and that's that's why people learn my name just so they can get every. Uh, again, I think I've told you this before. Uh, the way my dad taught me to spell my last name was to do it to the Mickey Mouse uh, Club song. Oh wow, really? M A R C I U L I A N O. Oh, it does work. See? It does work. <laughs> Sometimes I still need to do that. <laughs> Especially when signing important documents. The first time I got a contract that I knew my name was going to have to appear on a product or something, I looked through it so carefully to make sure my name was misspelled. And I wouldn't have been upset with them. I just thought, this is easy for it to happen. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is, this is, treasure your tour, Kevin, is what I'm oh, saying. I do. Treasure. I mean, Although tour people, books, they got it. People still want to misspell tour because they don't do they want, want it to be that e? short. They, they add, add like an uh, two R's sometimes they want it to be, or they want it to be R R E on the end. Yeah. The the ethnic quality of your name confuses us. <laughs> we must add something. Yeah. There, there's a there used to be on the Lower East Side. Let's assume that I live in New York City for the case of this. Uh, <laughs> there was a pizza place, and it was called Pizzerini. And I was like, yeah, because you know the word pizza is in Italian enough. Let's make sure you know what the ethnic quality of this is. <laughs> That's some real pasta italiano stuff right there. <laughs> All right, I'm going to ask you this, and I know we've gone way off subject at this point, but Domino's did do the pasta, right, for a while? Was pizza it Pizza Hut? hut? Pizza, pizza Hut. And they pasta. delivered the pasta in the same pizza box? In a box? pizza box, yeah. I mean, aren't you kind of giving up that moment? <laughs> if I came to you and I said I made you cookies, and I clearly had thrown them in a shoebox, not even with a little paper wrapping or something, I gave you, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm at a loss here. But yeah, shoving pasta in a box, I know you repurpose boxes, but that's a lot. Before we really knock this, do we know that Zini's doesn't serve 
their eggplant in cardboard? We don't because we have yet to get a reservation and they have yet to send those photos because they don't think they need to because we're a podcast. <laughs> now we have pasta zini, so we know it exists. Yeah. And the checks come in in the manner that they hopefully one day will. Yeah. So we we know they're real. I mean, they have to be real. They're the only restaurant in America. Otherwise, no one's eating anywhere. No one's eating. Which is always what you have to admire about moonlighting, that they're able to create other restaurants. They have the imagination to envision a world where there are other places to eat. Which brings us back to moonlighting. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Smooth. So this episode was called The Lady in the Iron Mask. So this episode is moonlighting doing its film noir. Just like in the Maltese Falcon, a mysterious woman enters the detective agency and says she needs help locating someone from her past. Only this woman hides behind a veil due to an acid scarring from a previous lover. And just like in Maltese Falcon, this minor case turns into a far more complicated plot of deceit and double-crossing, as all film noirs do. Only the double-crossing is going to involve a lot of surprisingly quick bulk dress purchases. <laughs> and just like in Maltese Falcon, the sordid tale ends in an overabundance of carpet shampoo, Benny Hill-level slapstick, and the William Tell Overture. Only don't forget the various comments about people's asses that also appear in this episode. Welcome to The Lady in the Iron Mask. Obviously, the episode titled Lady in the, the, Lady in the Iron Mask is a nod to the Alexander Dumas story. And mm-hmm. several years later, the somewhat less classic Leonardo DiCaprio version. Remember? Mm-hmm. He did that. Yeah, 98. Oh, I remember. I that was, that was yeah. the height of people will see him in anything. Oh, yeah. That was the height of floppy-haired DiCaprio. Yeah. I mean, that was around the same time as maybe Romeo that was his, and Juliet. That was his Chalamet period. Yeah, that was. That's well done. Yeah. But just like the uh, the story of the man in the Iron Mask, the lady in the Iron Mask is also based on a real tale. Now, admittedly, we like to keep this show light. We like to keep it brief. Any any darker details we discuss, we save amongst ourselves our private thing when we talk about conspiracy that we know the lizard people in cahoots with the Trilateral Commission to handle chemtrails to make it a one-world government. That's the things Kevin and I discuss between us. I mean, that's but true. But here... Yeah. That's just true. It's just facts, people. Look <laughs> at the flyer shoved under your your windshield wipers. You'll know what we're talking about. All right. So the, this. I mean, I have, I have to say the flyers are not sponsored by Zinis. That was just in a. They just wanted us to say that. They did. They 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 call us repeatedly. <laughs> we actually have pneumatic tubes, and suddenly it just a message will appear. We'll open it up, and there and they say sometimes it's just them going shh. And we it is confusing. That they want to be our sponsor based on how many things they ask us to disassociate them from that we say on this podcast. I don't think they're used to the concept of advertising because they've never had to advertise. Which, why do they have to advertise now? Is there a chance a second restaurant is coming into America? Why is the mascot attractive? That is that now. I just want to make sure that is their copy saying it's yeah, attractive. Yeah, it's their not copy. You. This I is not you saying that. they're attractive because you don't, don't know it. what the eggplant looks like. No. I mean, how much do we want to go into this? Because you know, an eggplant means one thing as an emoji. Is that what right. they're stressing here? But I think this is a female eggplant. I'm I'm guessing you know not necessarily so, but no, I'm guessing but... we're going to assume perhaps falsely you know if it's make plenty eggplant. Yeah. So. As I said, this story is based on a true story, and it's the story of Linda Russ and Bert Pugash. Back in 1959, Linda Russ broke off her relationship with Bert when she found that he was married. Bert 
never wanting Linda to ever be with anyone again, hires some people to throw acid in her face, thereby blinding her and scarring her face. And in this case, in this episode, the person has acid thrown in their face, but they are not blinded, they're scarred, and their voice box mm-hmm. is her. Of course, all this happened before Linda and Bert got married. Bert went to jail, Bert was disbarred, Bert was a lawyer. They got back, they got married. It's all featured in a documentary called Crazy Love, which seems a bit of a glib title. And uh, here's a quote, in 1997, Bert was once again accused of threatening a woman he was having an affair with. Linda appeared as a character witness. And it's a sad story because Linda obviously felt, it seems, that there was no one else there for her after the incident. And Bert was a horrible person. I think they have both passed away at this point. Again, this is a sad thing, but it is the point of this story. It is the it is the clear origin of this story. There's no way this story existed without that event. We're going to try to swing it back up from that, but, but this is the fact I, for this. That, that feels like a problem to me. Oh, yeah. This, it's like, why this cheerful show? Why would you pick this? Which is another point to bring up this story. It seems if you were an actual film noir show, you know, this isn't like James Elroy going, I'm going to take the case of the Black Dahlia and make a book of it. That's his bread and butter is that dark film noir kind of aspect. Here, it's almost like friends wanting to do the pandemic. I don't know. It's, it's just kind of a weird juxtaposition. Yeah. And they did it. And we watched it, and it is totally <laughs> off the map. Yeah, it's it's, it's a it's weird up and combo. down. Yeah, yeah. It's, there's it's some there's thing. some there's some nice scenes. Yeah, and it just doesn't all seem to fit together for me as a whole. But there's pieces in here that are good. It's like like for example when, the the okay. scene with where Maddie talks about her college stalker. That was a good scene. Yeah, she's Maddie doesn't want to take the case because uh, she doesn't think that there's any good that could come of having the woman who got scarred finding the guy who did the scarring. Which is why she comes into the agency in the first place. And it's, yeah, she the, says it's not for revenge. She says it's because she still loves him, just yeah, like in the real to, case. And once the, she'll break off her marriage, she is married. Uh, she got married after a scarring, and she would love that. And Maddie goes, we could be just sending the lion back to their prey. So she's reluctant to do that because there was a guy in college who didn't get the message from maddie that she wasn't interested and so at that point david had been so gung-ho for the case because it was a case mm-hmm. and they were going to get money out of it and then in that moment after she told this tale about this stalker guy from college he said we don't have to take the case if you don't want to so that's like a nice moment yeah. between maddie and david where david actually listens and, and appreciates someone else's feelings. It was actually important and is a fantastic line there. He took away my no. Yeah. Which is an incredible line. Not exactly something you hear in 1985. Right. It was a remarkable. I'm going to say this is a important thing. So what happens is it was like a first year in college, an upperclassman, start sending her flowers, roses, everything. Uh, David does make a classic error during this. He says, you didn't tell her, let's just be friends. You know, that's like saying no horizontal. It's like David, there's a lot of moments in this where David says some good things, but there's a lot of moments. I am now conditioned to tense up when something sincere and emotional happens. Like David, shut up. I am going the other way in the sense that- No, no, in that, that situ- in the sense that, that David is almost, it's similar to how I am with my own wife. It's like, I say a lot of things and she, a lot of times she doesn't hear them 
because she's used to just me riffing and joking all the right. time. So a lot of time it's just like, yeah, it's funny too, or whatever, you know. Like, so so I think that that's happening with me and David because he says so many things that they're almost just washing off of me at this point. So I I've never I only wrote down no horizonti because I've never heard that before. I've never heard that either. But but, but that didn't actually bother me because I was so. I was so caught up in her story and then so proud of David's reaction at the end right. that that I knew there was going to be those comments along the way, because in a similar sense, I make uncomfortable comments, too. I, I will joke. I will joke in uncomfortable situations, too. I think now that I'm up to 45 years old, I know not to do them in certain situations now. But David's still a ripe 31, maybe. And as living said, in an alley, he's he's, he's, he's the main character from Large. <laughs> yeah, our version. Our, our, you know, it. It's like it's like us doing Steamboat Willie a little early. We have our own version of Big. It's Large. We're good. <laughs> no, and I think that's a fair point. I will say this. So the story Manny says is actually a little similar to a story a friend of mine in college. She was dating this guy. He seemed nice enough. He didn't do anything. There's no attack. It does not get to anything in that regard. But it was shortly after Valentine's Day or might have been a Valentine's Day. And usually, you know, we were all on the same floor in the dorm room. We kept the doors open so you can go in and out. You know, which is basically one large room. And as I passed by the door, I, I just saw her sitting on the bed. And then I leaned back. Her entire room was covered in paper cutout hearts. Oh. Taped on mirrors, taped on walls, hanging by strings. Then there were paper flowers and flowers everywhere. And there were notes about love and everything. Every corner of this. It's like she had entered someone's brain and it was her own apartment. And the one thing I remember just her going, I don't know how he got in. And that's just like, I don't know. And she doesn't know. And that was the last day they dated. Okay. But it was it was remarkable. So when she said that that was my flashback, obviously not trying to tie into the larger issue of this thing, but that scene resonated me because resonated with me because there, one, it was a perfectly written scene. Yeah. Two, it was a scene from the character once again, not the narrative, which always makes it stronger, just like we had with Agnes last week. Mm-hmm. And three, because there was a familiarity with it. Yeah. And so, yeah, that stuck. And I think because it resonated, because there was a truth to it, that's why I started going, please, David, no. And then he didn't. And he didn't. Yeah. He also kept quiet when the client, Barbara Wiley, the one who's in the veil, had this kind of thing, came. And she's telling the story. And they let her tell the story. And he didn't. He made one little quip at the beginning, which was a little understandable. But then after that, he shut up. And when he decides to pursue a couple things in this, he seems to be doing it from the right point of view. Yeah. There there were a couple of times this episode where you weren't sure if he was 10 years old. Right. But then yeah, there's I mean, a lot of times where he is 10 years. You're, you're sorry. But at, at, there's a there's a few times this when you think he might be 30 today. Yeah. He might be 30. Well, Tom Hanks learned a little bit, too, along the way. Which, as we discussed last week, I said the name of the actor who played his girlfriend incorrectly. I think I said Nancy Travis, when the answer obviously is Elizabeth Perkins. Yeah. Our intern uh, Kiki scratched me after the podcast to remind me of such. I also and, said, in, if we're doing corrections, I said that Kevin Bacon angry danced in Flashdance when it was Footloose. And I think one of us referred to Maddie as Maggie, probably me, because I always have Simpsons on the mind. Speaking of Simpsons, I stopped watching this episode the second time mm-hmm. 
because it reminded me of a Simpsons episode. And I said, I want to watch that Simpsons episode. And then I came back and finished the episode. So at the beginning of this show. Go ahead, because I, I have a Simpsons thing that happened to me during watching this episode, too. Go OK, ahead. so go ahead. Uh, the lady in the Iron Mask. So when, when we started this episode, the first time we see Maddie, she comes into the office. All of a sudden, two of the employees that do nothing are fighting each other like a brawl in the middle of the office. And then they put a stop to the brawl and Maddie goes into David's office to say, Hey, the employees are fighting each other. And David has on like a hat and apparently he's running a, a fighting group. Like an Urtex fight club, you know, a few years, like a fight club type 14 years before the fact. And so it reminded me of because of the money was flowing and he was using money to make them fight each other. It reminded me of the Mr. Burns episode where he pays Homer to do things. Oh, to, to debase himself. Yeah. Homer versus yeah. dignity. Yeah. And, and so I was like, I need to watch that <laughs> <laughs> because it reminded me, like I was just picturing him paying money. It's like the, the awful guy who makes uh, homeless people fight each other. Where, yeah, I know yeah. the I know the name of those fights. I just don't want to say. I, yeah, it. I don't. Yeah. I don't know them either. I don't know the name, but, but I like, do. There was but a I don't guy want to say who it. did that. It's just, and know. so like that's all I was thinking. I was like, this is terrible. And then on <laughs> top of that, like this is what bothers me, because they are drowning in debt. We have established that. Yeah, they have seventy five hundred dollars. They got seventy five hundred dollars last episode for solving the case in some way and some they solved the case they, because it was the coda of the episode and they needed the case solved is essentially yeah. why that happened yeah so as the reward they got the seventy five hundred dollars for turning that guy in right but that's the only money that they've gotten it and the thing that makes this show interesting is that the detective agency is not successful yeah but what bothers me is every week it seems like david is not doing anything to try to make it more successful. And in the pilot, we found out that Maddie was had all these businesses to help with her taxes that she could like write loss off. Leaders. Yeah. Yeah. And so the detective agency was one of them. And then we found out that we find David, we meet him and he promises at the end of that, that he can turn it into a successful business because at this point he was only supposed to run it at a loss. So he was doing that, but now he could do it and nothing in no, I'll give him a bit because in the next episode, when he gets confronted that he's not bringing anything in, he runs across the street and steals a client. So right. he, that was proactive, even though it was a little underhanded, it was proactive yeah. in making a new client. But since that moment, he has actively gone the other way and done very little. He's lied on the phone about clients when when Maddie walks in the room, he does like a Bob Newhart bit. He does the one-sided yeah. conversation. Yeah. yeah, he spends money like crazy. He's making the people fight each other for money, the employees. And if and so like if one of them gets hurt and decides to sue, and then it's like the boss told me to fight. That's all on Maddie. That's even more money that yeah. Maddie has to lose. Like none of this is helping Maddie. I know it's a business that's struggling, and that's a good narrative or thing to have and it's unusual because usually it's always more the success of something especially rather than the struggle and so it's nice to have a struggle as the backdrop for this detective agency but you would think at some point maddie would either quit or be more angry at david for not doing 
anything to make them have more cases. Yeah, I mean, as I said, it was weird to see the fight at the very beginning when you walk into the office. It was even odder to see it without any accompanying music, which just kind of made it rougher, which maybe which is what they wanted. Because yeah. then it seemed like you had actually walked in the fight rather than da da boom boom, you know, music coming in. Yeah. Now, in regard to clients, Maddie more than once, by which I mean twice, I think, refers to this client as their first legitimate case, yeah. as their first client. And my question was, is this? But then later she defines as a client who came in under their own free will. Yeah. And I think that actually tracks. I think so, too. Yeah. So this is their first. A lot of times they have clients who there's no money involved in. It. They're just solving the case because they Scooby do it. But in your regard about whether or not to leave, Maddie has a lot of doubts about this. She has a, she even talks to David about how she has doubts that she's attached to him in any regard, that she could do it better. She actually calls him on this. David's feelings are hurt. She's being yeah. very honest. They get tense. You know, they they have to go their separate ways for a little bit. She says she's feeling empty inside with this detective case, that the cash won't fill it. And even if they do the case, which she doesn't want to do because she doesn't want to put this woman in danger. And I kept going, it's like, so you're closing the agency and going on to a more better fulfilling life, right? Yeah, if th this isn't working. But when they do decide, they're going to give they they do find the individual. Mm -hmm. And but when she when this case works for the time that it does, there is a remarkable 180 on Maddie's viewpoint, because then she decides she's happy about it. they have a celebratory dinner. Mm -hmm. And she says, you know, now I can't imagine all myself, my face being on a magazine because I'm on everything. There'd be a story about how I solved the case. And I'm not just a pretty face. And thanks, David, for suggesting that they go with it. Suddenly, it's like, we can do this. We can do this. And I will say that 180 is kind of believable when you're having to ride this line the entire time, where sometimes you yeah. either feel a complete doubt or when something works out, you get that moment of hope and elation that just pushes you forward. So I'm not saying that tract is a weird character thing. It was actually, I think, a well-developed thing that she is riding this fine line the mm -hmm. entire time. But yeah, so the client wants them to find a man named Frank Harbert. Yeah. Now, every time I wrote his name down in my notes and every time I kept thinking, it's like I wrote Frank Herbert, yeah. the author of Dune. I yep. don't know why the author of Dune had scarred this poor woman <laughs> with acid. I don't know how it was spurned. I don't know. Maybe this was when he was frustrated writing Dune Messiah. I don't know what happened, but it's a Frank. And he went to jail for it. As you would imagine, we did. She she was actually uh, engaged, and Frank uh, threw the acid in her. He was in love with her, obsessed with her. Threw the acid in her face at her bridal party. Yeah, that's pretty dark. Mm -hmm. That is a very dark. That and story that he tells about that day when they confront him and say that at the uh, uh, Santa Juanita Barbara. Mission. Yeah, Barbara wants to see him again. Barbara's the one who has the scarred face. Right. He. I mean, this was another moment of good writing. Yeah. And good acting. Yeah. Because he was he he doesn't want to relive it. He is very remorseful for what he did. He even said that something in his brain, like he was screaming no yeah. inside and he just couldn't stop himself from doing the horrible act. And then he decided still that even though he's probably still in love with her, yeah. that the best thing would be for them not to see each other. That's all, again, believable is, of yeah, somebody tell, who's Tell gone, her you didn't find me. Tell yeah. her you didn't find me. They need to write Maddie and David like they do all these side characters. <laughs> 
because they actually do a good job with the yeah. side characters. And yeah, so they do find him. He's sort of a security guard slash tour guide at a mission. Yeah. That seems to be run by an eight-year-old girl up front who seems to be handling the books. Yeah, she's doing a good job, though. She is. Yeah, I think she's the one who calls the cops because uh, they do tell her that uh, they found him. Where he mm-hmm. is, the uh, aforementioned celebratory dinner when all seems to be going well, which you knew everything was going to go to hell because that's how these things have to happen. That, that was an interesting moment, too, where David got her to agree to say they found him right. by saying, well, somebody else is just going to get the $5,000. Like, we they, should we should take the $5,000 because somebody is understandable. Yeah, which is understandable. And also, yeah, if, if someone is this focused on doing this, one person saying no. When illogic yeah. is the thing that's driving us to begin with, it's not going to stop anything. And he's absolutely right. And they do need the money. Yeah. As they're walking after they've had their celebratory dinner and they pass by. When was the last time you passed a window of television screens all showing oh. the same channel? I mean, I, I don't need I think the close would be when I was a kid. You'd be in Sears and all the TVs would be on the same channel. But you, that used to be in movies and TV shows, just a wall of TV screens through a window of the television store. Remember television stores. But, but I will say that it seemed like it was the first time that ever happened for Maddie because her, her dialogue in that scene is like, David, what's happening? Is yeah. the, what's on the TV? What are they saying? David, is he dead? Are He's they dead? saying that, is co- are they saying that the corpse is it? dead? Yeah, are they saying that corpse <laughs> is dead? So what we find out... <laughs> David, a little faster than Maddie, that Frank, Frank Harbert slash Herbert, uh, acid sprayer and former author of Dune, is dead. He has been killed. And I think, honestly, it was the little girl who called in the cops. The way they phrase it, it seems like it was the nine-year-old who had her book in her appointment book yeah. and was handling the book. She's doing a great job, by the way. <laughs> she, she puts out a cigarette and she's like, damn it, we got to get a new tour guide. God, <laughs> this job's killing me. Fifth time this week. <laughs> But it is because this murder does not take place in Los Angeles. They drive a ways. They drive a long ways through the desert. That when Maddie and David are, they're at odds. And then eventually Maddie tells the story about the college thing. And David comes to his point. And David convinces, Mm -hmm. you know, we should do this. You know, David's point is like, we'll get there. We'll meet him. If you still feel comfortable, we won't do it. Which is a fair degree. Uh, so, so when Maddie says Dave after he says they don't have to find Frank, it's like Maddie just has this line. Are you kidding? I love driving through Mars as they go through the desert. Yeah, I like that line because was that line. was a normal throwaway line. They gave Maddie something fun that was her own line and wasn't simply born out of a reaction to something David's doing, which I think at one point she uses the alternative curse phrase cow patties, which even David has to laugh yeah. at. And then at one point, Maddie follows it up with, which I think is a funny line, but I think it's a good line because it shows the tension that's happening at this. And Maddie says, besides, there's no one I'd rather see die of thirst than you. That's a stab to the side, but it's an earned stab to the side, given everything that's going on. So this was real dialogue to me. Yeah. This felt real. That car ride was a good scene overall. And usually a car ride you can get with the most still. Usually car rides like that are used to just shove in the exposition. To remind readers, readers, viewers, what's going on, and they didn't do that here. I thought they did a very good job. But the thing about the about Frank's murder is, like I said, it's it's in the distance, yeah. And it seems to be getting quite a coverage for a lowly security guard (laughs) in the Santa Juanita mission, which seems to be actually, I believe, on Mars. It's, I mean, there's local and there's regional, but this is L.A. L.A. is a big market, and it seemed to be an odd story to focus on, unless. 
you know, there that was the day there weren't any drug dealers or punk yeah, assassins or what usually populates, you know, the moonlighting world. But you're right. Manny just didn't understand how news worked. She also said right before the, the TVs, which I thought was really odd. And she does the story about the magazine covers and all that. She said, a fireman is not a professional, which I thought I, was I wrote that very down. odd. Like that's that you could not say that today. I, I actually wrote not only wrote that down, it's in bold print. Yeah, you could. David calls her out on it. David does call yeah. her out on it. But I so, thought that was odd. That was an odd line. I don't know what life was like in the 80s. Were we they... had fires. Yeah, I know. They're professionals. I don't, I don't understand. Yeah. I'm curious what the backstory is for why she hates firemen. <laughs> Maybe we'll find out. Maybe the upperclassmen turned into I don't know. Or it's up to us to figure it out, Chaz. Read and between we the lines. We'll figure it out. We're, we're very good at filling in the pieces because I'm yeah. saying David managing the fight club in his office is the first sign that I thought, you know what, maybe he could run the ground round. Oh, yeah, that's a yeah. He's showing but, to his pops he could run a successful he, business. He, he, a successful business <laughs> on the ground, do it out of nothing. I mean, he had the little the classic green visor, by the yeah. way, you net, which was actually a good little thing because it is shorthand for sleeves. Yeah. No one who's ever worn that green visor has been the accountant. It's always a bookie. It's it's never the CPA you've wanted to hire. But when they do see the murder, which apparently has made, again, a very large market news broadcast. Yeah. It's obviously what they would think. We've led her to to him. She lied. She didn't want to know. She was clearly out for revenge. And given that they said that with still 20 minutes ago, you know, that's not the case. You know how the narrative works. And this is the structure. By the way, so the Barbara always wears the same outfit. It is yes. a, it is very much funereal. It is very much uh, film noir. It's a veil where you can see her eyes. It's the eyes without a face kind of thing. And it's black with a blue clutch and a blue belt. We're going to see this dress a lot, and it doesn't make sense how, but we are going to see this dress a lot. But yeah, so they assume she did it, and it makes sense. But we still got 20 minutes, so narratively we know that's not the case, which is why at this point we go back to the other cast members of this episode. Barbara is in town with her husband at a hotel. Why are they staying at the hotel? What is the purpose of their visit? No clue. I actually tried to rewind at one point and say, well, he has business there and this like that. So the husband is played by Dennis Christopher. This is where we tie in a little personal country. Dennis Christopher played the lead role in what, Maybe one of my favorite films of all time called Breaking Away. Okay. It's otherwise known as the bike racing movie. It seems to have been forgotten despite the fact it won the Oscar for Best Screenplay, Best Original Screenplay, and was nominated for Best Picture. The same year that Apocalypse Now was nominated, and they both lost to Kramer versus Kramer. Breaking Away is arguably the film that introduced Daniel Stern and Dennis Quaid. Maybe if you're under 30, that means nothing, but this was these are people. Uh, bad guy in Home Alone and the teacher who could pitch and made the major leagues. There you go. See, people, well done. I, it still may be on the Gen X side, but still, well done. <laughs> so, in honor of that, which means nothing to anyone simply listening to podcasts, but do remember, we put videos on Instagram and TikTok. Look for That's our friend. Mooney's never say die hard. I am wearing a shirt my brother got me last Christmas. It says Cutters. The okay. local people... In town were called cutters because the dads worked at the stone quarry, but the quarry had closed down the business there. And it takes place in a college town. So everyone in the college is from out of town. The locals are called cutters. So when they create their bike team, they, they call themselves the cutters. They can't afford any exciting thing. It is actually a white T-shirt with the word cutters, the number 34 in the back. I have had no 
context to wear this shirt until today and i'm <laughs> okay. wearing it on a i'm wearing it on a podcast the equivalent mm -hmm. of how do i look on radio it was gonna yeah. happen i needed to do this the other cast members are paul wilson who is one of the bobs the shorter bald bob in office space and the barfly paul in cheers you'll see him in later at the like latter seasons of cheers he's always out with uh, uh norm and cliff and then we have c thomas Howell. yes yeah, c. c thomas howell's in this as an uncredited waiter He's on the credit. And the odd part about this, that this is not like C. Thomas's first C. We're going to go and see. This is not C's first thing. By uh -huh. this time, he had appeared in E.T. He was one of the older brother's friends. He was in The Outsiders as a major character. He was in Red Dawn. And the following year would be in ugh, Soul Man. Great movie. And if you don't know what... <laughs> In case you don't know what Soul Man is, aside from the song that maybe you don't know something, is Soul Man is a movie about a white law student who goes in blackface to get a scholarship. Mm -hmm. Oddly enough, this is also where he met his first wife, Ray Dong Chong. And I think they, according to Wikipedia, were married for about 15 minutes. Tommy Chong's daughter. She's been in a lot of movies in the 80s. But uh, we'd like to mention our guest stars here. Dennis Christopher is given top building, billing. And the moment you know he is the husband character, you have to piece things together by this oh, point. Oh, God, you I see mean, that mustache and it's like he did it. Yeah, you <laughs> see that You see that mustache? Dennis Christopher is more of a slider build. Yeah. So you know that again. He has good-looking guy, feminine kind of you know, longer features, you know, if you're going to do in the stereotypical fashion. What we're saying is they believe that Barbara hired them to lead them to him so Barbara could kill him. They're upset. They go to the hotel room. The husband says, if I don't know them, she doesn't know them, which seems controlling, but also makes sense, given the life yeah. that she's leading and hiding. And she is hiding behind one of those dresser. Yeah, like a changing, changing uh, room. I actually wrote down privacy the word. Privacy screen. Yeah, ch changing screen. Yeah, yeah, dressing screen. Yeah. And she is insisting. Changing privacy dressing Dressing screen. screen. <laughs> Wait, it's a privacy changing I have it somewhere. <laughs> I know. I'm actually going to look down the finest because I have this written down here because I have to have it. You've seen here. them. They're in Moulin Rouge. Dressing room screen. Dressing room screen. Uh, that's that's it. what it is. Dressing room screen because <laughs> I had to look for it because I had this conversation. <laughs> it was we important. Just had, I had, we yeah, needed it. Was, it. Yeah. It was crucial. It was holding and the whole podcast together. She is insisting you only see her eyes. She, you know, on the top of her head. She's insistent she's never hired them. She's never gone anywhere there. David's like, you're lying. He's livid. They said, you know, they'll do everything to prove she killed Frank. Uh, Maddie is, keeps saying, I can't believe our first case we kill a guy. And uh, Maddie, again, has now swung the other way. They never should have taken the case. David says, we, this could be our new agency slogan. We find them, you kill them. Maddie wants to call the cops and tell them what they did. Not a smart move on Maddie's part because they don't have the details and why you also implicate yourself and have nothing really to do with it. David responds, while you're at it, why don't you take the blame for the drought in Africa? Now, this is 1985. There's a group called Band-Aid. Okay. This is when they had the Live, the live Aid concert mm -hmm. to raise the money. So it was very much of a time, but it was also a joke that stuck out just a little too much. That poked its head out just a little too far for this kind of incident. I understand. Okay, yeah, I did. But um, yeah. if you don't know what the Live Aid is, watch Bohemian Rhapsody. It's the third act. Queen, Queen's performance in Live Aid is actually one of the best concerts ever. And not simply because of the movie. It is a remarkable sequence. I Did, did you did you not watch Live Aid when it aired? I don't think so. I don't know. It, it would be 85, so you would be six? Six, were you? yeah. Yeah. 
I no. I know it existed. I know that. Did I know you that even Bohemian know the Rhapsody. movie Breaking Away? No, I know of it. Oh, okay. Like I, I, I know it has bicycles. <laughs> like if you the say little, Breaking Away, I know there's bicycles. Yeah, the Little Five Hundred. It's a real race. I think yeah. the weekend before the Indy 500, they have a race on bicycles on the exact same thing. Okay. So, yeah. So I've, I, 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 I'm willing to watch it. Breaking away. Yeah. I honestly think you would like it. It's it's very character driven. It's very sweet. Let's see. Is it is it streaming anywhere? That's a little tougher. 1979. I told you. What else was nominated that year? What else was nominated? Kiki, you want to get on that? <laughs> Every time I call, she just kind of lifts her head annoyed from the sofa. <laughs> you know, Agnes is in charge of their books, answers all the calls. It has been several episodes since she's answered a phone call, by the way, which I guess is part and parcel with the fact that they're not getting any clients. But usually the calls are wrong numbers anyway. But when was the last time we I thought this show was every episode she did a rhyming introduction. We haven't heard one for like four episodes. No, it's been a while. I don't know why. Uh, Kiki sent me the answer this time. But... I think my cat likes you better, despite the fact I pay for the food. <laughs> so uh, Kramer versus Kramer won. And then the other films opposite Breaking Away, besides Apocalypse Now, are All That Jazz oh, okay. and Norma Ray. Oh, okay. So Sally Field won that year then, because she won for Norma Ray. Yeah. Oscars are almost, Oscar nominations are out. Almost. Not out, but they're almost. Uh, I did not see the Golden Globes. This would have happened uh, two days ago, by the way, that Val broadcast. And uh, so I'm not going to revisit the supposedly very maligned opening monologue. Yeah, I didn't see the monologue. I saw some of the Golden Globes, though, and I was very happy that Paul Giamatti won because I really enjoyed Holdovers. That is a beautiful film. I'm glad she won, but I didn't see her speech. Um, We watched Oppenheimer this weekend. I, I, I'm going to watch it before the Oscars. I want to watch it. Did, what do you think? It's very good. It is. I, I almost a... didn't want to like it for some reason, <laughs> but it was. It was very good. I don't know what my reason is, but my body was, I was reluctant to watch it for some reason. It's not, not the cheeriest sure subject matter. But it was, you know? it was really good. It was. And every single, at one point I'm on the couch with Lolly and I said, everyone is in this movie and then i corrected myself and said every man is in this movie <laughs> yeah i think that's probably the way given the era given the topic given uh yeah but so was, did you uh, see where we were in it we were not we were cut we were cut for, we were cut we, for time they couldn't fit us into the three hour movie <laughs> you know why because we tend to talk for three and a half hours that was what it was yeah, no, we 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 tend to riff, like you said. We, we just kept keep blowing making jokes over and... the Christopher Nolan just kept giving us that wrap it up sign, and we were just like, "No, <laughs> we just... we're good. We're still going." At at one point, we called him Peter Noonan instead, and we didn't catch it till later when we were in editing. <laughs> we don't, you know, I don't know why we were editing his film, but um, yeah, we we thought we would have been buried in the mix, like Tenet, the sound in Tenet, dear God, and we all know about the Peloton trainer who paraded oh, yeah. him for Tenet. I'm going to tell you, I think that trader's right. Oh, absolutely. It's yeah. Not- I hope I hope Christopher Nolan's listening to our podcast right now. Hey, <laughs> and I will say did not get Tenant. All right. If you still want to be surprised by Tenant, plug your ears for a second. That is our spoiler warning. I oh, remember yeah. it. And so I'm talking about the yeah. ending of Tenant. So yeah. you what you got to do. I remember at the end going, oh, that's the name. Ten minutes from the past, ten minutes from the future, ten backwards, ten. For- I hate this movie right now. 
I mean, I didn't hate <laughs> the movie, but yeah. it, it is a cold movie that keeps you at a distance. It's more of a concept than a than a story. I mean, the film I hate the most is The Village, and that earns my ire. It does. Mm-hmm. If you like The Village, I am never going to argue that point. Everyone likes their own thing. No one can ever tell you you're wrong in your choice. But, dear Lord, it sucks. I think, like, <laughs> every five or six podcasts, I'm going to fetch okay. back The Village. Yeah. You know, it's, I, I haven't brought up uh, Rosencrantz and Gildenstern in a long time. So, I mean, that's true. Yeah, so if you were following our Take a Shot Every Time Rosencrantz and Gildenstern won, I hope it's, at least it's evening when you're listening to this. If you're back to tea, you know, down some of the No, we're helping with dry January. Okay, good. By the way, this is a reminder to us. If you happen to be in New York City and you're at Gutenberg the Musical next week, we'll be there. Not as part of the cast. We're just watching it. We don't know. What if they you ask mean, you us think to we come get to out? play the producers? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> That'd be great. We have one Thoroughly week to get really famous, Jess. <laughs> we have one week. By that point, this podcast, this episode of the podcast will be out. So we got a shot. Yeah. As part of Gutenberg, there's a famous person in the audience who plays a producer who's watching say, some something akin to a waiting for Guffman, except producer shows up. And uh, we're hoping it's us. It's usually yeah, one person. Right. It's usually yeah. someone who's famous. We do not fit either of those bills, but we're energetic and we're occasionally softly pushy. I mean, <laughs> if they if they allow us to do this, I already apologize to the audience. <laughs> I, and that's also our trademark. I want you I want our listeners to know what a great leap it is for us yeah. that we don't start each one of our podcasts with an apology. Because we're, we're, we're getting better. We feel good about ourselves. We feel good about this podcast. And we feel good that Zinis, for some reason, has decided to put all their advertising for all the right reasons, excuse yep. me, have decided yeah. to put their advertising dollars in. I'd like to us. see the Moonies bump that they're getting. I would, too. Maybe that's why we're not getting table. Okay. So if you're a Moonies fan, which we're assuming you are because you're currently listening to this, yeah. or a Mooney newbie. Let us know what you think of Zini's. If you've gone there because of our uh, our mentioning of the restaurant, even though for some reason we can't get a table, if you've managed to get a table. And if your you kid think. took a picture with Megplant the eggplant, could you please tag us in it so that we could actually see what an attractive eggplant looks like? What an attractive eggplant looks like. So, so I, I know, I know that there are twins because of Leonardo DiCaprio in The Man in the Iron Mask. I've never read the book. I can't even tell you what the movie is about. I think it's a shortest story within the uh, Three Musketeers thing. But yeah, it is. You knew by the very nature of this, you're right. That That there's going to be a switch of some sort. Yeah. That you watched Murder, She Wrote when you were a kid, right? Did you ever see like Murder, She Wrote? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you were around parents, you'd end up watching a murder she wrote every so often. And you could tell who the murderer was, or at least the main victim, by who was the most famous person or the first one who got the guest starring credit. Mm-hmm. So when Dennis Christopher, I know to people who don't know him, it seems like a weird get, but at that point, he, he never really popped big. But he's the first name you, uh, I think the last film I saw him in was uh, Django Unchained. Oh, okay. He he works at Candyland Plantation. He doesn't play a good character, obviously. Um, yeah, he's got that mustache. He looks like he's trouble. Yeah, he did say, he uh, he looked kind of exactly the same. So the guy's aging well. Yeah. You know that that he has to play a major role, and we're more than halfway through this episode before we meet him. We've heard about him. Yeah. We heard that they got married. She wore the long veil. They see the picture. David finds the wedding picture, and it's her 
face covered, him married. Then you begin to piece a few things together. She's saying she has never hired him, which could be a lie. They've created a character whose voice has to be spoken in a whisper. Yeah. So you don't really have to try to do a feminine voice. So we're trying to lead you down a path, people, that uh, by this point, if you didn't find out by this point, we're not saying anything wrong. Sometimes you just get caught up in a story, even this one. So Maddie and David are going to do some. uh, Here's the thing. So the fight. Yeah. Maddie says the fights are happening because the staff is not motivated, because they're bored. They don't feel like they have any sense of purpose. They don't have any sense of self-worth. David says, all he needs is a case, and we'll get them all on it, and they'll have something to do, and they have a case. And yet again, it requires just two people. I will give credit to them because when they get the case and Maddie doesn't want to take it, David says, we have all these people doing nothing. We could have them help us find this person. Which would be great if that's what happened. But they didn't do that. But at least they acknowledged. They acknowledged. Well, that was yeah. the whole point of the fight was to acknowledge. They know yeah. they've got it. To them now, it is their inside joke. Yeah. So, they should not be on the payroll. So we know that Dennis Christopher is posing as his wife because he's slight of build. He can keep the mustache to throw people off. But when he wears the, the veil, you don't see the mustache. But otherwise, he, he can pass as her. In fact, at the beginning, it's him in the shower and not the wife getting ready. Right. That is that is true because you do, thank you because I I actually missed that point but you're absolutely right because yeah, you don't see anything of note but you no, do you see, see only the shaving left side his of leg. his body and from the back. So yeah, and then he, he only, shaving his legs. Yeah, shaves his legs back. and washes just like his left shoulder yeah. so that you don't have to see anything. And then he um, puts on the veil and looks directly at the viewer and say the costume is on. Yes. Yeah. So, so Maddie does, sur- they do surveillance and find out that he is posing as the wife. And, and so then they need to get further proof because all they have is that he's posing as the wife, not that he killed anybody per se. Right. So in order to get proof, they need to get into one of the rooms to get a key to then get into a different room. Cause the husband is posing as her in a different room. Like he's using right. a different room to change into his, wife costume right now before that though there is still a period where david and maddie believe it is barbara right and they they don't jump to that they they find out that it isn't her by the by the very event you just said when they follow they believe the following barbara right because for a while as i said the the wileys barbara and forgetting his name don't know um are um at the hotel and David and Maddie are waiting in the lobby to see Barbara because they want to follow what she's doing. Because David said, this is someone who isn't a career criminal. Criminal, They're bound to slip up in some fashion. Okay. So they're hiding behind two newspapers. Neither one of them being the Los Angeles paper of note that we always mention Moonlighting. One of them is Maddie holds the Wall Street Journal. David is holding a tabloid called the National Pit. Mm-hmm. With the headline, Dr. Karen discovers antidote to stress. This is obviously a nod to the show's creator, which we have memorized by repeating. Glenn like Gordon, a Karen. Glenn Gordon, Karen. And probably because Glenn Gordon, Karen was stressed out making them every episode of this, considering what an ordeal it was to make of it. Another article in that tabloid is, is Jamie Lee Curtis, a real girl or actually a Russian experiment created in a laboratory to excite the American male population. Okay, yeah. By the way, at this point, no, no, it's by this point, Jamie Lee Curtis had appeared in a movie, which I remember, Grandview, USA. Guess who was in that movie? See Thomas Howell. See how it all oh, ties I was going to say Dennis Christopher. 
Uh, no, that's that's fair, but it can't yeah. be all Dennis all the time. Another headline is, have extraterrestrials left a secret message for Earthlings under Sylvester's pectoral, Sylvester Stallone's pectoral? Also, what may be the most 80s thing, if those weren't 80s enough and may actually require a little, is Jane Pauly having David Hartman's baby. Jane Pauly being the host of the Today Show at the time, David okay. Hartman being the host of Good Morning America at the time. Two national news outlets that probably covered the death of the guy at the San Juanita mission. Oh, yeah. No, because that clearly was... <laughs> I'm saying that that little girl was connected. She knew who yeah. to contact everybody. And then when they do spot Barbara, we see David's newspaper has a headline. Did S. Wilbur arrange a sex orgy on Long Island? I tried to look this up. I got nothing. Okay. So if okay. anyone knows about an S. Wilbur Long Island sex orgy, let me know. I lived in Long Island at I gotta the time. Think, I want to know what I missed. Is S. Wilbur just like a writer or something on the oh, show? Oh, I'm sure it is. Yeah. I'm sure that's the case. It's because when... It's also weird that they would just do the initial like that, even for a tabloid. Tabloid, they want to go in. And David, at one point, Maddie says, why are you reading that garbage? David says, I want to know, which I remember. Do you remember the National Enquirer TV ads? Yes. It's uh, inquiring minds want to know. Not inquiring, yeah. inquiring minds want to know. Yeah. So uh, the National Enquirer put money into TV ads, but Zinis doesn't need to do that. No. Zinis knows where their customer base is. It's <laughs> us. But they do see her. And she gets a, at this point, they believe it's Barbara. At okay, this yeah. point, the viewer is expected to believe it's Barbara. Mm -hmm. They follow her to a cab. Then she gets in a car so the cab will know where she's going. Then she drives that car to a public park. And then she drops the murder weapon, the gun, into the pond. And at which point they're going, oh, my God, why is she doing it in broad daylight? At this point, you're going, all this is performing. Yeah. And they I, do realize that. They do catch on to that. To get back to the David uh, does not care how much money maddie loses he gives 50 dollars to the cab guy to follow the other cab with barbara in it that is i kept hoping that was money from his fight club that's a lot of money <laughs> that is a lot of money when you don't have any money yeah and I, as i said he seemed to be making money hand over the fist at his office at the fight club oh that's true yeah so but I'm assuming I, I doubt he would use that money i guess that's his take from the bets right because he's yeah. not placing bets I guess right. the other employees are placing bets. Yeah. And again, he has put Agnes in a situation where he has made her known that they are having fights. Mm -hmm. So he makes her an accomplice to all these things that she's not having anything to do with. And I know we tend to go with the, oh, she's the innocent, but the show treaters are that, treats her like that to the point. Because they're arguing near the end, Agnes are mommy and daddy having a fight, which is a, a joke, nice which is yeah. a joke kind of cute yeah. thing. But then when Maddie comes in to talk to David after they were both going to write to each other, well, Maddie was going to write, David was going to have him transcribe. Maddie tells uh, Agnes, you go into my office and watch TV. It's like, are they now her legal guardians? Yeah, I think so. Is, is Agnes allowed to go home? Because it's night out. It's past work hours and she's still there. It's like, is she now there? Have they adopted Agnes? So to get back to concluding this episode. <laughs> no, this is where we're no, focused To now. get go back ahead. to concluding the episode, they have to go into uh, the room to get the key to go into the Dennis Christopher's room to see if there's any evidence in there of the murder besides that. Having uh, seen him go to another thing in, in the outfit, they, they found out that was him at the park and everything. Yeah. But they are fighting with each other also. Right, again. Maddie and David are fighting with each other. We mentioned that it hurt David's feelings when they, when she was doubting whether this is something they should do and she could do it better herself, maybe. So they both decide that they're going to get the key their own way. 
they they split up essentially to do it and their own way turns out to be the exact same way so they're both going to dress up like this woman with the scars and go to the front desk of the of okay. the hotel and get the room key by just asking <laughs> david does it almost just by ringing a bell so he doesn't have yeah, to fake like the a voice horse. he does it like and a horse maddie gets a key david gets a key each hotel each hotel room has seven keys by the way this is pre-cards these are actual keys gets the key then obviously we know hubby's coming back dressed as yeah. the person for reasons that he no longer needs to be dressed at her because he's already kind he's had his beer and his other thing he could have switched back to his normal clothes and gone back to his room but he's not doing that right they manny and david find each other there then he comes in and he finds him there then obviously the actual barbara wiley comes and so there are four people yeah so this was the first ever rule of fours yes like comedy is rule of threes but this ending wanted to go one better. It just figured it could top it. Yeah. And first of all, how popular was this outfit that everyone could score the same outfit within the within maybe that two other people could score this outfit that it's not like the husband was even wearing her clothes, which would have made sense. He had his own set of clothes for her clothes. And then they're able to find not only the same outfit, the same veil, the same belt, the same blue clutch off the rack. This must have been the dress of 1985. I also want to take a second to wonder how women got through carrying these kinds of purses for as long as they had to. This is the most inconvenient way to bring your stuff with you. <laughs> There's a reason backpacks are more popular than ever now. You have to carry it like a football or like it's just they just pinch it against the side of their body. It has no handles. Now, what is the purpose the of this? And this is a large clutch. It's just a huge. large, huge. It looks like you could put files in it. <laughs> it's like so a you pillow. could even shove documents. It's like in you're it. carrying a yeah. throw pillow yeah. wherever you go. Yeah, I mean, yes, it's two guys talking about women's fashion in the case of 1985. But yeah, there, I there is a reason about that, this. <laughs> but here's the thing. There is a reason why backpacks are kind of overtaking all other means. There's backpacks and then there's the new little uh, yeah. strap thing in the front kind of dealio. And those make sense because then two hands free. Yeah. Remember, that's what uh, I don't know if you saw uh, the. Uh, jobs and he talks about the reason that newton failed remember the little silent writers and he says you only had one hand free he yeah. said that's why he came out with the with the iphone you have all your fingers free and it's an important thing you you basically just said goodbye to a hand for that entire evening and i'm going to say if i had a clutch i'd assume i'd drop it when i have like a little messenger bag thing when i sit at a restaurant i put that strap over my leg and my leg through the strap it doesn't bother me but it's like i know i'm not leaving with that thing because otherwise this is how you lose umbrellas yeah. so why not yeah so i agree with you it is it is not the most practical thing i will say this now early on i mentioned i had my own simpsons reference okay yeah when all four of them showed up in the same dress i'm saying this slowly to see if you catch on to which mm -hmm. one i'm about to reference. I looked at it, and of course, the first thing I thought to myself, I'm seeing double, four Wileys. <laughs> it's Homer's Krusty the Clown episode. I won't go into yeah. further detail then. And then the chase sequence. We got a drag chase. We get a drag chase. We are trying to not focus on the drag aspect of this. It's No, but 
I like to label yeah. each chase that we have. <laughs> it is a drag race. It is a drag yeah. race. Yeah. Yeah. So everyone is wearing the same outfit. Everyone makes sure before they run off, they pull the veil down and go. There's no reason for this except None. just the visual. Yeah. And the husband runs first, and each person as they pass the camera says the exact same thing. Stop that man because it's a man in a dress. Could you imagine such a it's, it's 1985 people? Again, I don't know how popular this outfit was, but wow, you get all this is done to the William Tell Overture. Mm-hmm. In case you want to know at what level we're pitching all this now. But again, every pratfall happens four times. Yes. And of course, remember how we had the uh, cream pie fight in the restaurant? Yeah. You know, at the end of uh, season one, again, we're in a hotel kitchen. Mm-hmm. Where the chase happened. Again, we end up in the hotel dining room. And this is where we find out later, see Thomas Howe. See Thomas yep. Howe, doing a fair enough job, serving people who I'm going to tell you, these are some of the worst pantomime re- diners in a scene I've ever seen in my life. They did <laughs> not know how to pretend to be mute customers without that. Apparently thought, I know I'm an under five here, but I am emoting like hell or gesticulating <laughs> or just being awkward because I want people to know I was in this. And it's just, it's awkward. And he's there. And every time he's about to serve, a door swings open and another wily knocks him down mm-hmm. as you said this happens four times to see thomas Howell's credit he goes flying four different ways oh yeah no he he does it well yeah he he's it's a fully physical role yeah. he does it each one different especially since he's now he is he is stuck in shtick hell yeah and he's still making Good the Lord. most of it and then the cops appear kevin who called the cops I guess the, the little girl the from cops? the mission, the little girl from the mission. <laughs> she knew that they were at the hotel. Yeah, yeah. She yeah. is plugged She's in. tapped in. Yeah, just ready. She is, given, yeah. given no Internet, given no no cell phone. She is. Yeah, she's perfect. So which one of us wants to handle this sequence? It doesn't matter. They run out of the dining room and there is a man shampooing the carpet with a floor buffer. And he's not just shampooing the carpet. I mean, it is like six inches of suds. I've yeah. n- I've never seen that without signs saying "Do not go here." Yeah, it's like this should be. He should be setting up a foam party. Yeah, it looks like the dance floor at Ibiza. I don't know yeah. what's going on, but instead, there's no sign saying "slippery when wet." There's not no that. sign saying "Do not come here." It's just a guy, seven hundred pounds of carpet shampoo suds. That's yeah. how many suds? I don't know. And. Every time one of the Wileys comes, a cop appears. Each time a different cop, mm-hmm. each Wiley gets a different cop, says freeze. They slip and smash into, what are they smash into, a fountain? Yeah, they, they hit up against the side of a fountain, yeah. This happens four times. And then um, we're back at the agency. Yep. I mean. We assume arrests have been made. I, I, love, I love that under the IMDB for that scene with the shampoo, mm-hmm. that. It's under goofs. And, well, because like, of the floor buffer, I guess. No, not even that, but just it would you would not create that much suds if you were really cleaning a carpet. <laughs> <laughs> I like that a like a genuine carpet cleaner person had to comment that that is that is not an appropriate amount of suds for cleaning I'm a just carpet. Saying, in my job, <laughs> I am not familiar with this level of suds. That would if one individual could not, you need three. As per our guild, you would need three anyway of a situation of that size to manage the. Co- they must have had a contract with that. You know, he, I, I wanted more details. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a, I actually as wanted much details about carpet shampooing and hotels yeah. as possible. Yeah, because you want to work a lather, 
but I mean, that's excessive. <laughs> so here's the thing. Speaking of a uh, little uh, trivia from the IMDb, apparently there was a different musical score for this. Not the William Tell Richard. <laughs> In addition to the way. I can't picture it without that. Just yeah, no, it needs no, no. that. Oh, no, no, because that's the crux of this. I mean, <laughs> so there was a different score. Alf Clausen, as we mentioned, is the composer for Moonlight. Alf Clausen also being the composer for The Simpsons. Mm-hmm. But there was original music, and the person who scored the original music did not know his music was not utilized until the airing of the episode. Oh. Now, there is a famous incident very similar to this involving movies where you've seen 2001 A Space Odyssey, or you know yeah. of it, yeah, yeah. and you know it utilizes it entirely it's the one with the bicycles, exactly. <laughs> Dennis Christopher is fantastic as the star child at the end. With a little the, mustache. <laughs> he doesn't have a mustache in Breaking Away. He's supposed to be 18. How would we know who he is? I, you, you don't. You don't. Is he when, snivelly? Is he at least snivelly? 1980, there was a... Breaking Away was so on in the 1980, there was a TV series. Oh, wow. With Sean Cassidy playing the David... Uh, the, playing the uh, Dennis Christopher role. It lasted three episodes, but still, that's how popular this movie was at one time. <laughs> I anyway, believe you. So 2001 uses classical music, also Strauss, mm-hmm. just and all that. There's an original score that was made for 2001. The composer found out his score wasn't used when he went to the premiere. Aww. Stanley Kubrick never told him. Now, do remember, Stanley Kubrick is also the person who made Shelley Duvall do a take in The Shining 142 times. But she got it right. She got it right, <laughs> but... <laughs> Remember that part where you said you just keep saying things, Kevin? <laughs> Maybe something should be inside voice. <laughs> Meanwhile, Lolly just passed by in the back. Yeah. If if that happens to be your partner's name. <laughs> I have a partner. You have okay. a partner. But yeah, just we're speaking goose and That's little terrible. That, that the is, person that finds out at the premiere. That's terrible. Because what happens at the party afterwards? Excuse me. Excuse me. Dan? <laughs> Stanny, word. Did he at least use it in Barry Lyndon? Well done, you. I know things. I know. No, no, I know you do. I'm not saying it. But no, you you pulled off you you pulled off a a title most people don't pull off with the Kubrick. So well done, you. I think it's the one I haven't seen of his collection. The one you haven't, or you have? I haven't seen Barry Lyndon, but Barry I think Lyndon I saw all the other ones. Beautifully shot. It's very long and. Remember, you've got, or it feels very long, you got two hours and change of Ryan O'Neill. So without any disrespect to recent passing, deal with that as you will. But they, he actually, for his camera, he had to use lenses developed by NASA because he did a lot of the interior lighting by candlelight because that's he wanted to look like the paintings at the time because that's what they would have used the candlelight. It's, it's, it's a feat, but Stanley Kubrick was an we artist. Other people. He was, a, yes, let's put it that way. He was an asshole. <laughs> I, I said artist. <laughs> I, I said an A word as well. Okay. So at the end, they're back at the agency. Apparently, Hubby went to jail. We actually don't really hear that. We know that yeah. they're each in their own room, the room, their office. Manny's going to write an apology letter. David's going to write probably not an apology letter, but he's having Agnes write it. Maddie comes in because she's the bigger person. She apologizes to what happened this episode. David, for some reason, doesn't apologize to what happened for the last Eight episodes, eight episodes total at this, eight episodes at this point, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, look who's doing simple math, me. And then Maddie kisses David on the cheek. He smiles. There, there were two things. One feeds into the Maddie had good lines this episode. Okay. 
I liked after the where David says maybe we're a, an agency that finds people so that they can kill them. Mm-hmm. After he finishes his little rhyming rant thing, Maddie says to him, you swing from a vine, Addison. And I really like that a lot. That was a good line. Yeah, I that enjoyed a that a lot. Line. She delivered it really well. Yeah, that was really good. And then feeding into the David, we don't know where he lives thing. At one point when she's asking him, where's his humanity when he wants to take the case and she doesn't, he says that he hocked his humanity to pay his rent, which is the first sign that he might have a place. But he could also just be giving money to somebody in the alley so that they could share the alley. Like, I'm not willing to give up the idea that he lives in that alley yet. I... You know, <laughs> you gotta pay someone for that. Until dumpster. we see four walls and a roof, he's in that alley. He's in that alley. I, if nothing else, David would have to have a roommate. And I say this one not only because of the non-income he's getting here, but I don't see David having a credit rating. No, which means I don't think he could get his own apartment. Do you get two hundred on your credit rating for getting your name right, like the SATs? Because <laughs> then he could do it. He can get two hundred. <laughs> I just want you to know I've got a 200 credit rating. <laughs> Are you sure you have a pulse? <laughs> I I owe everyone. That was great. Everyone. I owe everyone. <laughs> <laughs> That's how good my credit is that everyone has trusted me to be in debt to them. <laughs> because Maddie still gets to keep her house for now. I don't know how this agency is running because I have to assume every dollar they make has to go to paying the IRS so she can keep her house. So I don't know how the employers are getting paid to spend time to beat the crap out of each other. I don't know how Agnes is living. God, I hope she is a trust fund kid because I don't know how, where, where her money's coming from. It's, it's, it's like odd they're, because they're uh, living off of Maddie's like just what she has in her savings account and she doesn't like, seem to have anything in her savings account because she can't pull out the 35 which admittedly is not a small amount of money especially back no. then not even close but i don't know how she is paying anyone yeah i don't there's no income coming in she is not modeling she doesn't she does not speak of residuals from previous modeling contracts yeah well, let's say there's residuals for being what is what was it blue, it blue moon uh, shampoo sunscreen right oh shampoo shampoo it was a shampoo yeah yeah. It was the shampoo made out of beer. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> the shampoo of beer. The shampoo of beer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what? We already printed the label. Run with it. She needs to stop. Yeah, they but, either need to shut won't. down and, yeah. and try to find something else, or they need to be more active. David needs to do something. Anything. Anything that's not... Anything. Even if it's costing more money, <laughs> even if it's a side gig just to bring in some money, he needs to do so. He can be a bartender at the Anvil or work at that Chinese food place he lives next to. Exactly. Or under or behind, <laughs> you know, he, he may he may live in the kitchen, which which is why they got a B instead of an A. Code. <laughs> I'm it's, sorry, you have a, you're rampant with Addison. We're going to have to shut down. (laughs) Did you know you've got like six brothers? (laughs) All right. So the the episode was fine. It had some really nice moments. It did. But I am I am concerned again, like we were from the very beginning. 
of who David is. And we're starting to see who he is more and nailing him down. And it's not anyone that Maddie needs in her life. (laughs) It is not a positive individual. We're not going to say toxic yet. No, he's pouring acid on her life. Well, instead of her face, <laughs> I, I got in the I got no, the but like you, didn't you have see to in this show, like, there was a person who got acid on their face, but I'm saying it's on her. He's he's worse. You fell asleep during the first hour and a half of our podcast. We uh, want to bring in. <laughs> Wait in the next two hours. We're gonna nail this. What's the um, next episode called? Do we have the Kiki? Kiki. Kiki, wake up. Thank you. <laughs> I know you can use my laptop. Money talks. Maddie walks. Maddie, ooh, maybe she does leave. <gasps> oh, this. I don't know how much you want to give away in this, but this actually starts to answer a few questions from the pilot episode. I, see I like that. that. All right. Yeah. So this is uh, this is interesting. I think uh, I think we've got something here. Just as a heads up, I know one person from the and. It's through a series of not famous films from the guest list of uh, next week's episode. And there's no way I wouldn't have known that had I not watched MST3K and Rift Tracks. I I know who it is. Who is it? Robert Zadar, because you've told me you recognize him in other things. I forget what it was, but he's come up before. Robert Zadar has a, and it's because of a medical element, he has a very prominent chin. He has has a very prominent facial structure. And he's usually a bad guy. He has mm-hmm. the look and not to do that. But yeah, he is, uh, and given in this, the scene that show him, he's holding a gun. I don't think there's a movie where he's not holding a gun. So they couldn't even do that for our little IMDb photo. He is holding a gun. One of them, Rick Fitz, was apparently in a Star Trek. Okay. In the photo that we're seeing here. We're giving you a heads up for next week's episode. <laughs> so we, we usually got a don't Star do Trek. <laughs> we got a Star a Trek and a Rift Treks. Yeah. I'm just telling you people, if you like the sci-fi channel in the 90s, we're giving you everything you need right now. <laughs> So now we didn't do this last week. Okay, yeah. But what is the prop you would take to bring to uh, Planet Hollywood for this episode? This one's a little tougher. From right now, I have the National Pit. Is my okay? Prop. Yeah, the, that's the, a good the one. Tabloid. I was gonna say the whole the outfit, black dress. Yeah. I mean, that's a little more iconic here. I yeah. agree, and I think they can spare one because not only do they have the four, I imagine they have more because some of those I imagine were damaged with all the uh, carpet shampooing. Uh, or we could, just have, the blue we could just have the little girl from the mission work the hostess desk at Planet Hollywood. <laughs> she had that book out. She had numbers. She, was, she made sure she, she made sure Maddie had head yeah. covering before she entered the church. She was on it. Yeah, I, I thought you were going to say that she's the problem. I was like, no, we're not just going to install her to Planet Hollywood. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, we keep mentioning Planet Hollywood. How viable is that a chain right now? I don't think it exists anymore. Does it? We're just shoving props into an empty warehouse. At the <laughs> yeah. <time. laughs> I mean, is there still a planet? There, there was never a planet Hollywood uh, casino. That's Hard Rock. Hard Rock at the casino. Uh, it is closed in New York. Uh huh. That I know because That's I remember planet where it was. Because that was the same time there was the Models Cafe in the ESPN zone. According to PlanetHollywood.com, there are still three Planet Hollywoods. So they're one up, they're two up on Blockbuster. It looks like the one in New York is closed, so that brings us down to two. Oh, so one of the ones they mentioned was still the New York one. Yeah. Oh. But the one in Florida, 
is open at 11:30 this morning so we have one hour till it opens we have one hour and you know but and we, california we don't eat there. We there's eat one in there's still one in la at the airport you know what? It almost sounds promising but, until you finish that sentence. But not, but not LAX. It's at the Tom Bradley. Oh, maybe that's a terminal in LAX, maybe. It sounded promising. Then you said at the airport. <laughs> Downstairs <laughs> at the airport. They've built over the top of it. <laughs> we're going we're, we're, uh, to visit the Louvre. Not the one you're thinking of. The one at the Paris airport. Oh. <laughs> Okay, Mona Lisa isn't there, but the postcards featuring it are. Ooh, duty free. Uh, <laughs> yeah. One of the things my brother got me as a gift was a giant Toblerone, and all you can think of is duty free. Oh yeah. It's delicious, people. <laughs> Nothing is better than giant pyramid candy. It's just amazing. All right. So. Yeah. Thank, thank you for you listening. For joining. Yeah. See, yeah. We're, we're very grateful, as you could see. Yeah. And uh, eat it, Please eat at Zini's, and then they'll keep uh, sponsoring us because we're doing our job. We're doing what we can do. And now stay tuned for your local news. Tonight on Eyewitness News, is there lead in Stanley Tumblers? There isn't. But there is... (laughs) 